super thankful for the team that we have here. And as Tyler just gave you a glimpse, um, God is moving right now. Are you experiencing that in your life right now? The people and in, in the lives of people around you, God is moving. Um, he, is, he is moving in people's lives all around our city. And so I'm so glad you're here to be a part of it. If I haven't met you yet, uh, my name is James. I'm one of the pastors here and uh, I'm <clears throat> filling in for Richie this morning. He's got an opportunity to be with family today. And so get to watch and spend some time with his girls. And so pray for him that this would be a blessing, refreshing time for him. But I'm super excited to be here today. And I am glad that you are here this morning because I believe that God has a purpose for you being here. He's the one who's called you to be here. Uh, Whether you want to be here or not, um, he's got you here for a reason. And he wants you to know who you are. He wants you to know who he is. And so if you were here last week, Richie started us off on a brand new series called A New Thing. Uh, The idea behind this series is that Jesus came, he died, he rose again on the third day so that all things could be made new. He is making every single area of your life new. All of your relationships, all the things that you do, all the things that you think, all the things that you say, everything is being made new. And so that's the series that we're in uh, and gonna be going through all the way through summer. And so I'm super glad that you are here. Um, He does have a plan for your life but there is one thing that stands in the way of that plan. And that is sin. You may have heard that word before, but a really easy definition of sin is sin is anything in your life that is apart from or against God's plan for your life. Any thought that you have, anything that you say, anything that you do, the way that you're treating people, anything that's against God's plan for your life is sin. And sin isn't just like this thing that like, oh, it's, it's over there. We don't like to think about it. Or it's kind of like a sickness. I'll get better next week. No, sin is toxic in your life. Sin is this thing that if, you, if it's left unchecked, if you don't do anything about it, if you don't address it, it will grow and grow and grow, eventually leading to death. And so uh, God wants to deal with that. Again, God wants to deal with every area of your life. And if you heard about this series and you're waiting for like the marriage talk or you're waiting for the parenting talk or you're waiting for like, how do I deal with my annoying coworker talk? Like that's coming, don't worry about that. But we have to start with our abiding relationship with Jesus. That's where this total transformation starts with. See, the world is selling a story of self-improvement. You go to the bookstore, you see all the self-help books. Hey, here's how to make yourself better. Okay, but since sin is such a bigger problem, you can't just make it better you have to kill it. And so we're gonna start a series of conversations just talking about this abiding relationship with Jesus. But where that relationship starts with, ironically, is from a place of death. I have to come to a spot where I die to my old way of living. And then I accept this new identity, this new family, this, this new person who God says I am. This is where it all begins. And so that's what we're gonna start about today. So you, you ready for this? Super excited. We are going to get there. There's a lot of participation in today's thing. So, so we're going to go for it. So that's what we're going to be talking about. I'm super excited. Glad that you're here. I want to pray for you before uh, we get going. So would you pray with me? God, you are so good and you are so faithful. God, that's, that's why I'm here. I believe that you have a message that you want all of us to hear. God, that you don't just want to make us a little bit better or deal with some things, God, you want to see a total transformation of who we are. You came to make us new. God, and so I pray that your message would be clear this morning. I pray that every single heart in this room would be soft. 
God, like a surgeon, you would just address each individual issue in this room. God, as we proclaim your truth, as we worship you this morning. So Jesus, we ask that you would lead us this morning. We're here to follow you. So we give you this time and we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I never thought that I would be engaged more than once. And if you think that that's a weird way to start things off this morning, that's good, it's good. We'll get there. You say, James, you better get here quick. Okay, the thing is, I grew up uh, going to church. I grew up with this value instilled in me that um, marriage was sacred, that marriage had value to God. And so I never wanted to, to have divorce be an option. I felt very, very strongly about this. And that's why I never wanted to be engaged more than once. I said, okay, I want to meet somebody. I want to be engaged. And I just want to be committed to making this work, to doing what I have to do, to becoming the person I need to be to make this work. And so as I got older, eventually I met someone and I got engaged. And so we started the the plan of preparing this wedding and, and moving towards this thing. Everything's going according to my plan. And then one night she showed up on my doorstep and said, I'm not in this anymore. Uh, I'm, I'm calling this off. This isn't where I, what I'm doing with my life. Uh, I panicked at that moment because my plan just had a major problem with it. Uh, in that moment of panic, I tried to just fix everything my way. My, my initial reaction wasn't to just to trust God. My initial reaction was um, maybe, you know, maybe God doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe I need to fight for this. Maybe that's what he's doing. He's testing me. I need to make this happen. I need to change all these things that I know about me. I need to try to, to stop trying to, to lead her or try to change her or try to do all this stuff. I just need to try to do whatever I can to make this work. But ultimately I had a decision, but I've one or two options. One, I can either say like, well, I guess I just won't get married because I only was only gonna get engaged once and sorry. <laughs> it didn't go how you planned, but that's one time. That's all you're allowed. Or I had another option of say, I'm going to choose to die to this way that I thought my life was going to go. As much value as I had placed on it, as much importance as it was to me, I'm going to choose to die to this. And the thing about something dying is it's not easy. I don't stand here and just say, oh, and so I just chose to die and and moved on. No, it was like a six-month process of wrestling with like, God, are you really in control? Do you really know what's best for me? And so death is horrific. It's, it's supposed to be. But when God calls us to die to ourself, it opens up the opportunity for something beautiful to be birthed. And because he led me in his grace through that process, I now have, I think I've got a picture up here, uh, possibly of, of my family that's currently today. Because I went through that, it was a horrific experience. I now have been given something beautiful. Something beautiful has been birthed. I have a wife who loves me, who loves Jesus. I have four amazing kids. I look at my family and say, wow, this is so amazing. But if you would have asked me in that moment, all I could see was how hard this death is gonna be. See, when God calls you and I to die to something, it opens up the door for him to create something, to birth something absolutely amazing, absolutely beautiful. 
And so that's when we choose to follow Jesus, that's what he's asking us to do. He's saying, um, you can't have this old plan of your life of what you wanted to do, how you thought things were going to be, what your family was going to look like, maybe what your church was going to look like, what your neighbors are going to look like. You can't have this plan and then walk into everything that I have for your life. This plan has to, to die. These things can't exist at the same time. It's an example of an opposite. Okay, I've got young kids. You saw some of them up there. Um, how many of you have young kids? Young kids, or you've had young kids at one point? You've, you've seen a young child. You don't realize this. Thank you, Dave. You've seen a young child. <laughs> young kids, one of the first things that they learn is this idea of opposites, right? We hear that phrase of one of these things is not like the other, right? You familiar with this game? Okay, you guys up for playing it this morning? All right, excitement out here. I like it. Opposites. All right, so how this is gonna work is I'm going to say a word and you just shout out the opposite of that word, okay? <laughs> I love you. Okay, so if I say hot, you're gonna say, you guys are good at this, okay? I say dark, how about hard? One person called, 830 got me. I, I was looking for soft, so thank you guys for going with that. Um, it's, not as, it's not as clear as I thought it was. How about heavy? Light? How about old? Oh, yeah, but the, yeah it's, it's new is the right answer, you guys. Like young, no. how, about, how about dead? All right, we're all good on that one, okay? The idea, is, the idea of this opposite is that both these things can't exist. They're completely opposite. You can't be hot and cold. You're one or the other, okay? You cannot be um, like still living in the plan that you have for your life and be living in God's plan for your life. You have to die to your plan, okay? Jesus teaches us that we have to make a decision and that actual root meaning of that word decision means to cut off. He teaches in a way that says, you have to make a decision. You can't do both of these things at the same time. Okay, anytime you have to make a decision, you have to cut off one of the options. It can't be like, hey, do you want to like wake up in the morning or have breakfast? It's like, that's not a decision. You can do both. Okay, but a decision requires you, it requires me to say, this part of me has to be severed. This part of me has to die. And that's how we have to approach our new life in Jesus. That's why Paul said, in, in Galatians 2, Paul is one of the early church leaders and he wrote tons of letters to the churches. And he says, I have been crucified with Christ. Okay, are you familiar with crucifixion? Okay, if you've never seen crucifixion, here's what it looks like. This is the death in which Jesus died. Okay, when he was crucified, he stretched out, completely vulnerable and his legs are together. And then they take a nail and put it through this hand a nail and put it through this hand and then they put a nail through his feet. Okay, one of the main points of crucifixion is you are not coming down from that. This is the graphic imagery that Paul says, this is how you have to choose to deal with those worldly plans for your life. These plans for your life that don't align with God's plan for your life. You have to nail it there and you have to do it daily. Paul says, I, I've crucified myself with Christ Therefore, it is no longer I that live, but Christ lives in me. The idea is that this part of me has died. I have a new identity now. I'm not a better person. I'm a new person, completely made new. 
this life, this new body that I have, this new identity that I have, I live by faith now in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And so we have to understand that there's a very clear distinction. There's who I was when I wasn't following Jesus or who I'm not if I'm not following Jesus. Who I am when I am following Jesus is somebody entirely different. Everything about them is different. And so Paul, a little bit later, he tells us kind of what this, what this looks like. Because um, if you're like me, this presents a lot of questions for me. Like, okay, I, I'm gonna believe that that works, but how does this actually work? Well, in another letter that Paul wrote, the book of Ephesians in chapter two, this is what he says. He says, as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins. Okay, you were dead. You weren't sick. You weren't inconvenienced. You weren't having a rough day. Okay, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. This is who you were. Okay, and then he goes on and says, all of us also lived among them at one time. Everyone in this room has been affected by that problem. You ever heard anybody say like, oh, I've always been Christian or I grew up Christian? Okay, Paul is saying that's not possible. Paul is saying that every single one of us in this room, every single one of us outside this room starts at the same spot. Okay, we've all lived in this way. And here's what that way looks like. Gratifying the cravings of our flesh. I see it, I want it, I do it. There's no if, ands, or buts on that. So gratifying the, the, the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, just like everyone else who does that, who lives that way, we were by nature deserving of wrath. So that thing that you're holding on to, that you're like, this is so great for me. This is gonna be that I finally made it. God says, that's your plan. That's not part of what I have for you. That is deserving of wrath. That's it. Not greatness, not success. Deserving of wrath. Now, if that was the end of the story today, then this would be really, really a bad thing. But I'm so thankful in throughout scripture when God chooses to put the word, but. But because of his great love for us, God loves you this much. Because of his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy. Okay, you may have a plan to say, I wanna be rich in money. I wanna be rich in land. I wanna be rich in possessions. All these things we want to be rich in. God is rich in mercy. Okay, do you know what mercy is? Mercy is when I don't get what I deserve. Okay, he says all these things, when I choose to reject God and go my own way, I'm deserving of wrath. But thank you, Jesus, that God is rich in mercy. That's what he's really good at. Everything that I do apart from him is deserving of wrath. But God says, I am amazing at not giving people what they deserve. So you are in luck. He's rich in mercy, has an immense love for us, made us alive with Christ, even when we were dead in transgressions. That's how you are made new. God makes you new. You don't read a a self-help book on how to become made new. 
okay? God, because of his love for you and because he is so rich in mercy, makes a way and makes you new, even while you're dead, because it is by grace you have been saved. This is why when Tyler talks about the sacrifice that was made on your behalf, and Richie talked about it a couple of weeks ago, it satisfies both things. Okay, your sin is that bad. It's deserving of, of death. And so God sent his only son, Jesus, to die in your place because he is rich in mercy. He says, I will make a way. A little bit later, two chapters later in, in Ephesians, we come to Ephesians 4, verses 23 to 24. Paul gives us another amazing picture. He says, you were taught with regard to your former way of life, this old way of doing things, this, this way that, that gratifies the desires of its flesh and everything about that. You were taught regarding this way to put off your old self. What Paul is doing is painting a picture here. He's saying in the same way that you put on clothes or take off clothes, it's the same thing. You've got to take this off, all these things that you used to do, and you've got to put this on. And it's a daily thing. It's when I wake up, I take things off, and then I put things on. I don't just take things off, okay? And I don't just put more things off. I think about it as like the seasons, okay? We can talk about winter now because it's gone, right? It's gone, right? right. I know it snowed last week, but it's gone. But as the seasons change, okay, we take off our snowsuits, our, our, our beanies and things like that, and we start putting on shorts and tank tops. Okay, we don't just keep our snowsuits on and be like, well, it's summer now. I'll just start putting shorts on over the top of it, right? Okay, and we don't just say, oh, well, I guess winter's over. Then I'll just take this off and go with it. That's just weird. So in the same way, Paul's saying, if you're going to live a life that is following Jesus day by day, every day you've got to wake up and say, I'm taking this off and I'm putting this on. So we take off the old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, by the way. Okay, we got to take it off because again, it's toxic and everything that it promises, you want to be having all these things or say all these things or do all these things. It's deceitful. These desires, they cannot deliver what they promise. And so you are actually being corrupted. That's why God wants you to take them off. You put these off, which are being corrupted and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Begin to think a new way. Begin to say, okay, I see what's going on here. This is promising this. You think about commercials that are on TV, teaching my kids right now that everything that they watch, everything that they hear has a message, okay? If that message is not part of God's plan for your life, then that message is deceitful and it's corrupting you every single day. So to be made new, to put on the new self because you were created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So we have to learn how to live in this relationship. This abiding relationship is a day-by-day process of taking off what once was and putting on what now is because God has says, I'm not a better version, I'm a new version. And so the first thing we say, we've got to put off the old self. Okay, well, what does that mean? If we're going to put off the old self, first of all, there's a recognition that we are dead to our old way of life talks about the attitude of your mind. Matthew talked about the renewing of of your mind earlier. This is where it has to start with. You are dead to that that part of you. I'm not saying the struggle doesn't exist. 
but you have to wake up. I have to wake up every day. And part of putting that off is saying, I'm dead. That is not me anymore. I am dead to the person who constantly had desires of doing these things. Because in Jesus, I can say no. So when I wake up in the morning, I can take that off. Say that thing that I once thought I had to have or that thing that I once had to do, I don't have to. I can, I can take that off. Okay, I'm dead to its power in my life. How many of you ever tried to take something off and you say the power is too much, I can't do it? You are dead to that power. You are a new person when you have trusted in Jesus. You are no longer a slave to that. You are a free person. A slave doesn't have a choice. You have a choice. You can choose to take off sin's power in your life. And you're also dead to its end result. Okay, when you are a slave to sin, when you have no choice but to do what your flesh tells you to do, Paul tells us here, the end result is death. It's corruption and death. Okay, and if, if you are not living in the new life that God has for you, then that is a terrifying thing. You do not have to be afraid of death. You can take that fear of death and take it off and put it down and say, it's not how I'm living my life today. Because God has the final word. If I follow his plan for my life, he has the final word. And so we realize that those parts of us are dead, but then we also have to deny ourselves. One of the most primary teachings of Jesus was in Luke chapter nine. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me every day. Okay, the good news of that passage is that he says, whoever, that means that Jesus's invitation is open to everyone. If you are here today, this invitation is open to you. It says, if you want to be my disciple, here's what it looks like. You must learn to deny yourself every single day, take up your cross against that picture of crucifixion and follow Jesus. But what are we supposed to deny? Okay, this is not a comprehensive list, but I'll start with a few things couple attitudes that if we're going to put off the old self, here's what we need to deny ourselves of. Okay, when I wake up in the morning, I need to put off that blaming attitude that says the situation that I am in is somebody else's fault. It blames everyone. I need to put that off and have a recognition that says, you know what? I am in the situation that I am in because I have chosen in this area to live apart from God's plan, God's will for my life. That's why I'm here. Okay, that's one thing. Another thing I've got to put off is that that attitude of shaming, the thing that that I wake up in the morning and say, I'm the problem. I'm the worst. I'm in bondage by this. I'm entrapped by this. And it's never going to change. I have to put that off because Paul, a couple chapters earlier, again in chapter two, he says, you, this is who you are. This is truth. You are God's masterpiece. That's who you are. And you've been created to do good works that he has prepared for you long ago. Okay, so you have to put off this attitude of I'm not good enough because you just haven't learned how to walk into who God has created you to be. So you can't wake up with this idea of I'm the worst. You have to put that off. Another thing that you have to put off or deny yourself of is you have to put off this idea of, of autonomous independence, okay? Fans of big mornings, big, big words in the morning, right? 
That's okay. I'm not, we'll get there. Okay, this idea of autonomous independence says, I don't need anybody else. Yes, I do agree that uh, I'm not blaming anyone. And I do believe that there are good things for me to do. And so I'm going to just get right to it. You and I were never designed to live apart from being in relationship with God and with other people. Okay, a powerful picture of this is a, is a picture of, of um, or it's a story of Jesus. And Jesus has a friend whose name is Lazarus. Okay, and one day people come to Jesus and say, hey, Jesus, Lazarus is dead. And so Jesus goes to the city where Lazarus uh, is at. And by the time he gets there, he finds out that Lazarus has been dead for four days. Okay, he's not like just a little bit dead. Like he is full dead. And so people are weeping, people are mourning and Jesus comes up to the tomb and he's so dead that, that people are telling Jesus, Jesus, don't go near that. Like it's not a pretty sight over there. But Jesus walks up to this and he simply says, Lazarus, come out. And what happens next? Super amazing, you guys. Lazarus is dead. Okay, do you know anyone who's dead? Okay, if they came to life and you walked outside and they're there, you're just gonna be like, oh, he came back to life. Lazarus is dead. Jesus has just brought him from death to life. Okay, if that wasn't amazing enough. Okay, so here comes Lazarus. He comes out of this tomb. Okay, but if you know anything about tradition back there, when they would bury someone, they had these things called grave clothes. So where his head's wrapped up, he's basically mummified. Like he's got everything wrapped around. So here comes Lazarus. I don't know if he hopped out. I don't, I don't know how he did it. Okay, but he comes out. Lazarus is not dead. He's alive, but he can't help himself. And so Jesus doesn't say, all right, Lazarus, um, go ahead and take off those grave clothes now. No, he realizes that Lazarus cannot do that. What we do here is Jesus looks at the people around him and says, you guys see that Lazarus is alive now? Okay, you guys need to go take those grave clothes off of him. We have to put off this idea that we can just make it on our own. So these are the things we have to take off. But Paul says, we're taking things off so we can put on the new self, okay? So every day we're putting on this new self. What does that look like? First of all, if we're gonna put on the new self, every day we wake up and we are accepting, embracing our need for a savior. Okay, if we truly believe that sin is as toxic as God says it is, that it is as bad as he says it is, then we are in need of a savior because we can't save ourselves. Okay, and I'm gonna say that if you are still trying to figure things out on your own, if you haven't come to the point of realizing that whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish, that you, can, you could do it on your own, if you haven't come to the point where that is not true in your life, then you are not able to see the goodness and the greatness and the amazingness of God's salvation in your life. You have to come to a point to realize that, you know what? I am in need of a savior because the problem is that bad and I cannot save myself no matter how hard I try. So I'm putting that on. Every day I wake up, I say, here I am again. Jesus, I am in need of a savior. Okay, and then I'm, I'm believing in Jesus. I'm accepting or receiving God's provision for my need. He knows that I need a savior. And so he provided one. His name's Jesus. Jesus comes to earth, lives the life that I could never live and dies the death that I should have died. 
that is the savior that I am in need of. And so I'm choosing to, to believe Jesus, to put my faith and my trust in Jesus. At the same time, okay, I'm repenting or turning away from my self-led life. That life that says, um, I got this, just watch me figure this out. I'm turning away from that and saying, Jesus, I am completely dependent upon you. This is what causes us to wake up in the morning and the first thought says that the only reason that my heart is not beating out of my chest right now is because God's keeping it in check. I am completely and wholly dependent upon God in my life. And so I'm turning away from this self-led plan that I have and I'm confessing or agreeing with God about my sin. As he shows me my old way of life, I'm no longer saying, well, it's not that bad. At least it's not this. I'm agreeing with God and saying, yes, that is the sin and that is that bad. And this is what I have done. I'm agreeing with him as I confess my sin. The next thing that I put on every single day when I wake up is obedience. I now realize that I'm completely dependent upon God. And so now when he says something, I don't just agree with him and say, oh, that's a good idea. I'm, I'm learning to obey him. That's what abiding with Jesus looks like. Every day I put on these things. And if this is the first time that you're ever saying to Jesus, then your first step of obedience is baptism. Okay, this is something that, that Jesus did. This is something that he, he calls his followers to do and he calls all of us to do it as well. And the reason that's the first step is because baptism is such an amazing picture of what it looks like to go from death to life. Okay, over here, this is where we baptize people if you've never seen this before. Okay, someone who has made this decision to accept their need for a savior, who has believed in Jesus, who has confessed their sin, agreed with Jesus about their sin and turning away from their self-led life and say, I'm gonna follow you, Jesus. Then they are ready to step into this water over here. Just as Jesus was crucified, they took his body down and they put it in the grave. And so the first step of baptism is we lower that person down into the water. It's a picture of them dying to their old way of life. They are identifying with Jesus's death. But again, it's such a good thing that the story doesn't end there. Because if that's was how we did baptisms, none of you are signing up. It's like, well, we're gonna put them down. They're baptized. No, no, Jesus didn't stay dead. We read that on the third day, he rose from the grave. And so we bring that person up out of the water and it's such a powerful picture of they are a new person now. They're not just a little cleaner. Okay, they're not just a little wetter. They have a brand new identity and everything about their life changes from that point on. That is why we celebrate baptism. Baptism isn't just a dunking. Baptism is a picture of going from death to life. It's worth celebrating. It's the same reaction that the people had when Lazarus came out of the grave. Okay, that's what we celebrate. When last week, three people, we had a dad and two of his sons give their lives to Jesus. They step in here and say, you know what? Our way is not working. This is the time to clap, absolutely. Okay, and God says, I'm not done yet. And so two days later, Tyler in our youth ministry, two students say, our way's not working out. We're giving our life to Jesus. They step in the tank and they give their life to Jesus on Tuesday night. 
And then God says, I'm not done. You guys don't have to have a gathering for me to be working. So Friday night, somebody else has a conversation with one of our team and says, you know what? I'm ready. I'm giving my life to Jesus. And so Friday night, we get a crew of people in here and somebody else steps into these waters and goes down into the water as they're identifying with Jesus' death. And they come back out of the water and say, I'm a brand new person. This is what makes baptism so amazing. It's a picture of someone going from death to life. But as you continue to obey and walk in obedience, the next thing that you put on when you wake up in the morning is worship. Because worship starts with a recognition that I couldn't save myself. There's only one person who's worthy of worship because he saved myself. If I could save myself, I wouldn't need to worship. But I can't save myself. Somebody loved me enough to do what I could never do, and he is so worthy of our worship. And I love Matthew. I love the team. I love music as worship, but worship is so much more than just singing a song. Worship is the way that I live my life. It's always been this way. Another story, when God first chose his people Israel, back in the beginning of the the Old Testament, book of Exodus, we read that God chose his people. He said, you are my people. There's only one problem, is his people were in slavery in Egypt. You can't walk in everything that God has for you if you're bound up. And so God delivers his people from slavery in Egypt with a supernatural series of events. And and they're going through the the desert and this path that God has laid out for them. And everything's going good until they come to their first obstacle, which just happens to be this massive body of water. It's like if you are on your way and all of a sudden you ran into the ocean, what are you doing? Like this isn't a creek that you can walk over. This isn't like a river that you can swim through. Okay, this is the ocean. Okay, and if that wasn't bad enough, the Israelites look behind them and say that the Egyptians are now following them. And unless you be confused, they're not saying, hey, Israelites, you forgot a few things. We just wanted to make sure that you took everything with you. No, no, the Egyptians have one thing on their mind, and that is, we're taking you out. So again, Israel finds itself in a place, they're in need of a savior. There's no way out of this. And so in a moment of panic and confusion, God talks to Israel's leader, Moses, and he says, Moses, here's what I'm gonna do. I am going to grab the water of this sea and I'm going to rip it apart. So there's going to be a wall of water on the right and a wall of water on the left. And when I do that, you are going to walk through this birth canal that I've just formed. You're going to walk through this and when you get to the other side, you're going to be a new people. You're not going to be a people who are known as slaves. You're going to be my people. So I'm going to take you through this birth canal. I'm going to birth new life into you. But the Egyptians are going to see this and they're going to come in after you because they're dead set on this craving that they have of their flesh. They're dead set on taking you out. And so once you get to the other side and the Egyptians are in the middle of this now dry land, I'm going to release my hold on the water. And it's going to come crashing down over them and you're never going to have to deal with them again. Israel gets to the other side of that and they realize that they were in need of a savior. They had no hope. 
someone intervened for them in their need and did what only they could do. The only proper response is worship. And so they sing a song. But Eugene Peterson says it this way. I think it's just such a powerful way. He says, any approach to salvation in your life, any approach to God delivering you or saving you from something in your life that does not eventually become worship reduces salvation, what God has done to a concept or a program or a technique that we can master and therefore control. If all Israel had to do is just give it enough time and they could come up with a plan, well, here's how God works. So here's what we have to do. We have to say these words, we have to do these things, and then God will do what he needs to do. Then it becomes manipulation. But when God has done something in your life and you know it, I know it, that there was no other way that that could be done, the only proper response is worship that says, thank you, Jesus. See, God can't be controlled. Probably the best picture of an abiding relationship with Jesus is told in John 15, another one of Jesus' teachings. Jesus says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Here's the picture, okay? You think of a tree, you think of the roots down underground, the trunk all the way up. Then there's the branches. When everything is like firing on all cylinders in that, fruit or a flower, something beautiful is birthed at the end of that branch. Okay, the branch isn't working super hard. The life is what made something new. And that's what happens as you and I put on, we we put off these things and we put on these things every single day. We're walking with Jesus, we're abiding in him and he begins to change every area of our life. Not by you working harder, he begins to change it. And as long as you stay in that spot, that abiding relationship with Jesus, he will continue to change these areas of your life. But what happens if one day you go out to that tree and you say, you know what, I'm tired of this. And I just like slice that branch right off. The life source is gone. It may be a day, it may be a week, maybe you get a couple of weeks, but the end result, because now what is being produced is corrupted. The end result is death. And so God's desire is that you would walk with him every day and he would produce this new life in you. Your job is to multiply that fruit that God is doing in your life in the lives of other people. That's your job. You don't make yourself alive. Okay, but you take that new life that you've been given everywhere you go. And that's what this series is about. All these different areas, these spheres of life that you have, you take that new life in everywhere you go. And if you're wondering, well, how do I do that? What does that look like? Richie mentioned a real simple one last week. Okay, we've got on May 20th, this this one heart 5K fun run. And you're like, I don't understand because I don't like running. I don't like fun and 5K. That's not what it's about. 
this is an opportunity for us as followers of Jesus to multiply in the lives of other people what he's done in us. It's an opportunity for you to have a conversation with somebody, to let someone know that they don't have to blame themselves, that they don't have to shame themselves, that they don't have to live on their own, that God has a plan for their life and he's called you to grow that in them. That's just one opportunity. We would love to talk to you about all these other opportunities. God is at work in your life. I believe that to be true. And so he's asking you, will you just simply grow what I'm doing in the lives of other people? Would you teach other people how to abide in me? Realize this is the kind of church we wanna become. A church that is alive. Not a church that was alive, but then once we figured out the system, we chopped off the branch and said, okay, we got this now. We want to be a church that is alive, that every single day we wake up, we wanna be a people who recognize we are in need of a savior. Jesus is that savior. And so we're believing in him. We're putting off all these things. We're living in this new life that he has called to. Not only that, okay, but we wanna be a church that is known for a place, that this is a place where people come to go from death to life. This is not a place where people come to hear something friendly or that has good coffee, okay? Or has, this is a place where people come because Jesus is here and Jesus makes dead people alive. This is the kind of church you wanna become. And as we realize that, we're a church that worships. This morning, God's spoken to you. God has brought you to a spot that says, wow, I am in such a need of a savior and I cannot save myself. The only thing that makes sense for us to do next is to worship. Again, if this is the first time that you are saying yes to Jesus, then your first step is baptism. And we would love to help you take that next step. There's a team in the back. They'd love to walk you through it. If you didn't come prepared, that's okay because we have everything that you need. We've got a towel. We've got an extra change of clothes for you. We will help you make that step. Your new life, your new identity can begin today. And so if this is the first time that you are saying to Jesus, yes, I'm all in, then your next step is baptism. But we're all called to respond in worship. And so I wanna ask you to stand to your feet in real life. Everyone in the room, stand to your feet here. I wanna ask you a few questions as God's speaking to you this morning. Do you stand here today as a people saying that like, I have a need for a savior? Do you stand here today saying that I believe that Jesus is that savior. Are you agreeing with God that your sin is, is bad? You believe that Jesus covered that? Are you ready to put off your own way of doing things and follow his plan for your life? Love you so much for your life. If this is your first time making these declarations, then I wanna ask you to head to the back right now. Our team will meet you. We would love to help you begin your abiding relationship with Jesus. For the rest of us, our only response, our only acceptable response is worship. So let's worship our God who is so worthy this morning.